Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time now. We ask that as we come to you in your word that you would speak to us, that you would minister grace to us, that we would see you and understand you and know you and love you and believe in you and trust in you and hope in you. Father, you would fill our hearts with joy and with love, that we might love one another. Please, Father, help us to understand your love, help us to know your love, so that we might love and love as we've been loved. For we ask this in Christ. Amen. Well, in regard to this series that we're in right now, just started in loving one another and the one another commands, it's all about everything we're doing, everything we're talking about is about expressing love to one another. And as we get into the details of the one another commands, we're going to talk about the nitty gritty of what it looks like to love each other, welcoming each other caring for one another, encouraging one another, supporting one another, weeping with one another, laughing with one another, rejoicing one another. And how we, one another, one another, is all founded and based upon love. And I think the greatest obstacle to us loving one another, however, the one thing that's going to prevent us from being able to do this is believing the reality that God actually loves us and knowing his love for us. Because love comes out of a heart that has been loved. If your heart does not know love, do you think your heart can love? Do you think you'll want to love? Delight to love? You know, be excited to to give love? How about loving your enemies? Who can love their enemies? God loves his enemies. And when we know that love, that love changes our hearts and now we can love our enemies because we've been loved when we were an enemy. But here's the thing. Before we receive and know that love from God, there's something that must happen. Because love, here's a contingency, love comes from believing. If you don't believe, you won't receive. And so it's always this factor that that causes us to trip, that causes us issues in regard to receiving and knowing God's love. It's our believing. Jesus said that he's come that we might have life. And how is that life to be? Full. He says, and that you might have life to the fullest. He also said that you shall know the truth. And what will happen? The truth will set you free. And both of these promises are contingent upon knowing and believing. And knowing is believing, actually. Because this kind of knowing is the kind of knowing where you are convinced in your heart about who Jesus is and what he's done, which is what believing is. When you know the truth, who's the truth? Jesus is the truth. What's the truth? The truth of what he's done. When you know it, it's knowing in this sense, laying hold of it. I know it, and I know it here. It's believing. And when you believe that you are loved by Jesus, who is love, do you know what happens? You actually feel loved. You experience love in your heart. However, if you doubt that he loves you, or doubt that he's come to save you, 
or doubt that he's come to give you life and life to the fullest, what happens? There's no love filling your heart. Or that's just perhaps, perhaps you believe that you are, you've been rejected or isolated or hated or anything similar to that from God. You will not feel loved. Most Christians know that the Bible says God loves them, right? God loves you. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We know that Jesus died for us. 101, right? That's basic. Jesus died for our sins so that we might be reconciled to God. God so loved the world, right? God so, we know that one, don't we? God, that's the, that's the most basic thing. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Yet if we don't believe this, if we doubt this, we'll not believe, we'll not know, we'll not experience the love of God in our hearts. And when I say that, this is what I mean. I mean believing it deep down. Believing it to your core. Believing that you are loved and knowing it in your inner being. Because if we're honest, I would say deep down many Christians believe, just as I opened this morning in the call to worship, often this is what constantly trips us up. We can believe that God is somehow hard to please. Or perhaps that God is distant. Or maybe even that he's angry with us. Or maybe he, we just believe that God, so he's so quick to judge. And certainly, he isn't near. You know, you can tell. You can tell because when we think about God in our hearts, we can tell where we're at with him. Because when we think about him, it doesn't delight our hearts. The thought of God is like, yeah, okay, God. That could be an indifferent heart. And that means you're indifferent towards God and who you believe him to be. It could be cold, it could be distant, because we believe God is. How many of you go into your world? How many of you woke up this morning and walk outside and look around you and see nothing but love and grace and the goodness of God. You're just mesmerized by it. That often doesn't happen, does it? We often get, wake up into our world, and what do we confront in our world? We confront problems. We confront issues. We confront difficulties, dilemmas, struggles. We confront our own agenda. We've got to get things done. And right away we run into a world where we, we have thoughts about the world, thoughts about ourselves, thoughts about God, and so many times they're just not true. And so that's the thing, because we isn't it easy? I know, I know so, so often it's easy to just think about the problems we have. Or think about the problems in this world. Think about the problems in this country. Think about the problems in what's going on right now in to, this whole election process. The, the problems, issues, struggles. Think about the pain. Think about the suffering. Think about all this stuff. Think about all the things in your life that hinder you from getting what you want. That's called frustration, isn't it? Frustrating you. Yet Jesus said, He came that you might have life and have it to the fullest. He said that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. 
Now, there's something about the truth that we have to understand. It simply is. Truth is a reality. It's a reality about God, it's a reality about the world, and it's a reality about ourselves that is as true as gravity. Here's Here's the difference, though. Gravity is easy, isn't it? Watch, right here. Every time I do this, why, why every time? What's happening? We call this gravity. We see it. Creational design and order speaks to us constantly. Is it hard to believe in gravity? No, because every time, it's just so consistent. Creational design and order, even people of the world, they believe that that's true. So that's true. Gravity's true. But what's just as true is what, who God is and what he's done and what he's promised. However, they're different. Because you can have historical truths. They're just as true as gravity, but they're historical truths. You can't repeat them. They happened once, and that's it. Jesus, the Son of God, was born, lived, died, rose again, and ascended to the Father. That's a historical truth. It's just as true as gravity. However, it can never be repeated. We can't keep doing this. It's once happened. It happened once. Historical truth is just as true, but it can't, isn't repeated. But it's still truth. It's the nature of truth. There's also the truth of promise. Promise is where God declares that he will do something in the future. And he so rules and governs that it comes to pass. And these truths are experienced when we go through them. For example, God give his He says, he has promised to give us grace in time of need, according to Hebrews 4.16. When is he promised? Here's a promise. You'll receive grace when? In your time of need. Not beforehand, but in your time of need, he gives grace. It's a promise. Now, that promise is just as true as gravity, and just as true as a historical truth, because God is, and God is truth, and he speaks, and when he speaks, comes to pass. If you look at his track record, it's pretty good, isn't it? If you read his word and you look at what he's promised and you look at what he's, 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 has come to pass, he said, I will do this and he does it. I will do this and he does it. Find anywhere where he said, I'll do this and he didn't do it. Where has his word not come to pass? It's unbelievable. God's word is truth. And it has nothing to do with how, what you, whether you believe it or not. It is. You don't have to believe that Jesus died and rose again. He did. You don't have to believe that God promised what would come to pass and it comes to pass. It it did. But yeah, sure, it's not like gravity. Because historical promises, I mean, historical truth and promises of truth are different by nature. But they're still truth. And if we don't believe them, we don't receive the blessings of them. Or even if we doubt, we don't receive the blessings. The truth hasn't changed. When we're doubting or we're unbelieving, the truth hasn't changed. It's still true. What does change, though, is our believing or not and our experience of it or not. And you know what? Throughout the Bible, believing is what matters. It's the central point. Romans tells us that it's this faith that justifies us before God. That God looks upon our faith as we trust, as we believe in Jesus and gives to us all the promised blessings. 
in Christ. And because why? Well, because the truth of what Jesus has done has finished. And all that is left is to believe it or not. And the reason why this, fe- this faith is necessary for us to love one another is because when we believe, our hearts at that moment of belief are filled with life, freedom, and love. Upon believing, we receive. But when we doubt or when we don't believe, we find it hard to have the capacity to love. Believing God's, who God is, what he's promised, and what he's done fills our hearts with a certain kind of love, and from that we love. Doubting and not believing robs us of that, and we find it very difficult to love. And I want to address a, a major reason why we often get tripped up, why we struggle, and why we find it difficult to believe. And it's this. We live in a broken and fallen world within which God's truth is tested constantly. And therefore, love will only continue when we come to grips with the fact that we do live in a fallen and broken world, and that part's not going to change until the resurrection. We have to embrace and have to accept that God has something going on here and now, and it's not going to get real rosy and nice and pretty here and now. We have to live with hope for the future. But that's not easy to do. Because even though Jesus came to overcome all things, Jesus came to die and save us from our sins and raise again from the dead to give us new life in himself. And even though he is coming to to redeem all things, we know that he's not done that yet. We still are awaiting the full redemption and the resurrection. Jesus said in John 15, 18 this and following, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the, world, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute, also persecute you. Jesus, in that particular passage, testifies to the fallenness and the brokenness of this world. He in no way says that he's going to take you out of it, does he? And there's just no promise. He says, you're basically going to experience what I experienced. Persecution and trouble and suffering and pain at the hands of the world. So Jesus is pretty much saying, hey, it beat me up. It's, it's going to beat you up. Don't think a servant is better than a master. You're going, to live, you're going to live in a particular kind of world, and this world is filled with evil. This world has not yet been redeemed. The ju- final judgment has not come. So you're going, to, you're going to have to deal with all the stuff that's in it. And as a result, our faith is constantly challenged by what our eyes and our ears experience. And we begin to reason like this. If God is love and he loves me, why would he allow me to experience the pain and suffering and sorrow and loss that I'm experiencing now? It, it, it messes with you sometimes. Why would he do this? Okay, I get a lot of stuff, but I don't get this. 
There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of sorrow. But this doesn't make any sense. This is troubling to me. This I'm trying to get my head around and I just can't get my head around it. Okay, yes, I, okay, Dean, I get it. You said God is love. God loves us. And I know he's all powerful and sovereign. And, but boy, this doesn't make much sense with what's going on right now. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm having a hard time. Well, I'm here to tell you that God addresses this dilemma, this issue, a little bit. But in a lot of ways, he doesn't. And I think Job has a very fascinating reason for us. In the book of Job, we know that he went through hell. He lost his wife, his children, his home, his livelihood, his health, and his friends. He lost pretty much everything. And then, near the end of his ordeal, he, he questioned God. And can you blame him? In chapter 31, this is what Job says. He finally begins to make a complaint against God. And I'm just going to give you a sampling of it, starting at verse 24 of chapter 31. If I have made gold my trust... Or called fine gold my confidence. If I have rejoiced because my wealth was abundant or because my hand had found much. If I have looked at the sun when it shone or the moon moving in splendor and my heart has been secretly enticed. And my mouth has kissed my hand, so to speak, like ain't I awesome is an expression. This also would have been an iniquity to be punished by the judges. For I would have been false to God above. And he keeps going like this. He goes on and on, continuing like this, saying that he's done. If I had done these things, or if I've done anything like this, then God would have been just in, in doing what he's done. But then, so God still continues to remain silent for a bit, but God shows up. And he doesn't answer Job the way Job asks. Instead, God says, Job, I've got some questions for you, my son. I love how it starts out. Chapter 38, verse, beginning at verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you. And you make known to me where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? And I could keep reading. He just goes on and on about asking Job questions and making statements about all the things that were created. And God is basically saying this. Come on, Job. You ask me big boy questions. about evil befalling the righteous and why. And yet, Job, we can get there. But uh, let's make sure you can get past grade school first. I'll ask you simple 101 questions 
about the cosmos, about this earth. And then if you're doing okay, and I see that you know, things are working out here, then we'll move on to the big boy questions. As John Frame put it, if Job is so ignorant concerning God's work in the natural world, how can he expect to know the workings of God in the midst of, distur- uh, of distributing good and evil? And in the scripture, you know, the full answer to the question is if God is loving and if God is all-powerful, then how can there be evil in this world? He, in a large part, you realize that God doesn't ever really give the full answer to that, ever. And do you know why? We don't have the capacity to understand it. It's a lot like eternity. The God says, we know from the Bible that eternity is, right? Is there one person in this room who can get their head around eternity? Nobody raised their hand. Okay, nobody. Nobody can get their head around that, but it is. So God just lays it out there, it is. Okay, if you can get your head around it and fully understand it, and, and you don't explode, we'll move on to bigger things. That idea of understanding, of, of, the, of, of asking the question, God, I'm confused, I don't understand, please help me to understand, trying to seek to understand, is what causes the problem because your brain cannot handle it. If you know, if you, if, if you think you want to an- know the answer to that one, first of all, you've got to just try to answer the fundamental ones. As God's saying, where were you? And how did, I, how did it all work out? In the very beginning, how did I lay the foundation? How do I keep this spinning ball floating there? Come on, guys. How does it stay here? It spins around. Where's top? Where's bottom? Come on. How does it work? How does it work? Well, of course, we, in our arrogance and pride, we still continue to try to figure it out. But unless we bow, unless we fall before God and say, God, I don't know because I'm but a man. I'm finite, and these things are too big for me. Who am I? And you know what? That's exactly where Job ends up. Oh, God. But yet, in the midst of it, of course, we have promises given to us in our suffering. God has promised to be with us. God has promised to strengthen us. God has promised to use it to change us. He's promised that he's going to use this to test us, to reward us in the end, and ultimately, in the final judgment, bless us beyond our imaginations with it. God, we know what he's going to do. He's going to use it. We've got promise. But to figure it out, you nor I can handle that. So, person who rests their cause in God, believes that he's good and that he's loving and is convinced of his promises, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what, he, what it looks like or what it feels like, that person will have love in their hearts towards God. That person has got to give up. That person has got to surrender their own ability to, to not understand they got to surrender to the fact that God has reasons and God knows and this is beyond my capacity. I don't understand and I have to submit myself to him not knowing completely and understanding completely but knowing this. He says, know this. This is what you can know. That I am good. That I am loving. And that I am just. And that I am beautiful and majestic and I will do what is right and good and in the end I will blow your minds when you see it.
That has to be sufficient. And when that's sufficient, if you, you can accept not knowing and understanding, but no, what, what you do know, and rest on what you do know, you can love God. Even though He might lead you through hell. You know, I also want to say that um, there's something else. It's just not that we experience horrible, hard, painful things in this life that fly in the face of what we know who God to be. It's also that we have experiences that kind of mess with us. We're, we're fickle creatures. And our experience trips us up a lot. If you've ever experienced the love of God, you will know that it is the most amazing experience you've ever had. Because it floods your soul and fills you with such satisfaction and fulfillment and peace that words fail to describe it. There's nothing like knowing the Lord. There's nothing in this world that can come close to it. In fact, so often when we're in the midst of knowing God like this, if you've noticed the trees look greener. The sky looks bluer. The birds sound prettier. And the smells seem more captivating. And yet the danger is that when, we, when these feelings go away and we're beset with troubles, we begin to wonder and question what happened. We can sometimes think that maybe God has left us. Or may, you know, maybe I sinned too nastily. Or perhaps I grieve the Spirit. Or, or maybe God is simply distanced for some reason I don't know about. We begin to think, what's wrong? Why was it so amazing? And why is it now so dead and cold? What's going on with me? And maybe we do have sin that we need to deal with. But more often than not, that's maybe not even the issue. Maybe we've confessed our sin, dealt with our sin, but we still we don't know what's going on. And so what we often try to do is duplicate what we were doing before when we, we had this experience. So if we're reading three chapters of the Bible in a certain chair with our legs crossed, we go back and do the same thing. Thinking that we might, if we do that, maybe I'll get in the chair, I'll read my three chapters, cross my legs, and what were the three chapters again? Maybe if I get there, then I'll have that experience again because it was so good. I, I mean, I don't know, everything just seemed to come together. But here's the thing. It has nothing to do, nothing to do with those three chapters has nothing to do with your chair, has nothing to do with you crossing your legs, has nothing to do with wh what time of day it was, nothing. It was all because you were ex your experience was coming through what you were thinking and believing about God. So on that amazing day when you were reading those three chapters and your legs were crossed, sitting in your favorite chair, you were having thoughts about God about who he is and what he's done and what he's done for you and what he's promised you. And you know what? You were believing it. You were laying hold of it. And upon believing it, you were receiving the blessing of it. You were believing the truth, right? And the truth was doing what? 
setting you free. And the reason the changes came along, the reason why things changed and derailed you and you're no longer there, is you got some, somehow, some way, you got your mind thinking and believing about things of this world and the things in this world, the things that aren't true, and you begin thinking about other things and it changes your experience completely. Because when you start believing and doubting things that are not true, your feelings will correspond and you'll start feeling lousy. So let me show you one of the most important things you can do to, f- to walk in the knowledge of the love of God for you. So your hearts will be filled with love. Know this, that love will only continue if you are careful about what you think. What does Romans 12, 2 say? It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is a theme, especially for Paul. He says in Colossians, that we're set our mind on things above where Christ is seated. In Romans 8, he says, set your mind on the things of the Spirit. In Philippians 4, he says, whatever is noble, whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is true, set your mind on these things. This is a big theme for him. In 1 Corinthians 10, he talks about taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Because you know what? All day, all around you, the world, the devil are speaking to you in a thousand ways to not trust God and to not believe him. The input you're getting is to believe that he is not, either he is not at all, or necessarily he's not smiling at you, he's not kind, he's not good, and he does not have a deep and abiding love for you in Christ. This is why you have to renew your mind daily. This is why you must think about him and delight in him and know him. And you must be transformed by the renewing of your mind daily, continually. And this is why, it, you know, you've probably been in your life encouraged many times to do devotions, have quiet time, spend time with the Lord. This isn't because there's just something magical about it. Again, you don't just grab your Bible, your three chapters, favorite chair, cup of coffee, cross your legs, and there's something happens there. I don't know what it is. No, that has nothing to do with it. What, what matters is that you set your mind on who he is and what he's like and begin to go there and delight yourself in, in him. Delight yourself in the truth of who God is. Know that he is good. Know that he loves you and know it in your heart. And this begins to transform you. You're renewing your mind on the truth. And the truth is setting you free. You're filled with life. And as, you, and, as you, and as you get to know Him and delight in Him, you're filled with life to the fullest. The other day I was outside and by the grace of God, delighting in the presence of God. The sun was shining. The birds were singing. There was this gentle breeze and everything just kind of came together. And the smells were amazing. And it was as if I, it's just as I was looking and beholding all that was coming into my senses, as if I had this powerful and overwhelming sense of the beauty, majesty, glory, love, and kindness of God. And it was 
unbelievably delightful, the kind of thing where I don't want to move, I don't want to leave right now. Because all of creation, have you ever, the most beautiful thing, it's, hasn't it been nice that the sun's shining lately? Praise be to God. <laughs> it literally can make you smile and rejoice. But you look around in creation, and we're in a fallen and broken world, and yet creation itself is screaming, screaming. And you look at it, and you see the glory, the beauty, the majesty. Have you ever been in a setting, and it takes your breath away, and you can't find words to express it? You know what's shouting to you? This is what your God is like. This is what he's like. He's awesome. He's glorious. He's majestic. He's beautiful. He's delightful. Listen to the birds. Like, he didn't have to do that. Smell the air. Look at the flowers. Look at the colors. Look at the diversity. And creation, it's broken and it's fallen and it's shouting out. It's delighting in the Lord and it's saying, God is awesome. There's nothing like him. That's what it's saying. And it's, 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 it's shouting at us. Yet, yet what do we do? We go about our days with our nose, heads down, nose to the grind, thinking about what needs to get done, thinking about all the things that have to happen. You know, we've got to get this done. We've got to take care of this. We've got to make sure uh, uh, this gets completed and that task. And, and we're just, we get caught up in life and we miss the central point of it all. We are called to love God fundamentally first and foremost. Love Him and love others. That's our central calling in life, is to love God, delight ourselves in Him. He wants you, if you don't notice, it's like have a look around and be captivated. That's what I'm saying. Sometimes, I've said it before, you can have a wonderful devotional time in the produce aisle at Fred Meyer's. Just walk around and look and take it in. This is what God has done. Look at all the flavors. Look at all the colors. Look at all. Just give it a smell. You ever just give an orange a smell? And I love it. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's glorious. And, and all of it should be like this. It's, it's not an end in and of itself. The world takes it, and it's an end in and of itself. It, eats the or- it tries to get so much out of the orange, and it finds the orange failing because it should. The orange is intended for us to look and to smell and delight and just direct our, present, uh, our praise to God and say, isn't God awesome? And you only have complete joy in it and delight in it when you, it leads to praise and worship. It, it, it's the consummation. It's the culmination. When you see glory and you see majesty and you see beauty... And, and, if you don't, and if you try to get something out of it that it can't give you, and you don't look at that and then go, oh, wow, God, this is a reflection of you. This is what you're like. You're so good that you give oranges to people that hate you. Worship. problem is we read the chicken littles of this world we watch the news too much we delight in movies that manifest a world where evil and lies and gloom are the victors that's bogus we, we fix our minds and our thoughts too much on ourselves and too much on a broken and fallen world 
and way too little on the awesome God who rules over it all. And there's no way, there's no way we're going to love until we know his love. There's just no way. There's no way we're going to love one another if our ideas and, 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 and our thoughts of God are skewed and we, we begin to think that he's a lot like your horrible, say you had a horrible father, and if you think he's anything like him, that's just nothing but a flat-out lie. I'm telling you, you don't know. How good he is. I think it's one of the, the biggest sins we commit. Is by having such a low view of God. He's too much like those pathetic people and fathers and men that we know. And not enough like the Jesus that is revealed in the Bible. my prayer that we would know the love of God and I mean know it, believe it we would see it, that he would open our eyes that we would see his grace, his goodness his kindness his majesty, his beauty his delight is there anything that you find delightful in this world anything, do you look at your child and do you look at your child in delight do you see, do you see the glories do you see the goodness in it do you see anything that is beautiful do you see anything that is lovely? Do you see anything that is delightful? Do you realize that is screaming to you that this is from God? This is what God is like. This is what he's like. And when you believe that, and when you know that, it transforms your heart. And at that point, now we can say, go and love. Love as you've been loved. Love as you've been shown love. And you'll be happy to. The only people who lay their lives down, who sacrifice it gladly and give it up, are those who've been loved and know love. Jesus rested himself in the hands of his Father and gave up his soul for the creation because he absolutely and completely loved the Father and, and, and cast himself upon the Father wholly and completely while he was yet crucified. He didn't want to do it, but he said, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Because he delighted in his father. It was love that compelled him. It was love that sustained him. It was love that brought him through to the end. So if you think you're going to go loving, and you don't know and understand and, know and, and realize the love of God in your heart, forget it. You'll be frustrated and you're going to be frustrated at yourself and wondering what your problem and why I don't love like I should love. Get every day, every morning, you have got to be committed to delighting yourself in the Lord and to looking around. And your number one goal is to know him, to delight in him, to have his love fill your heart. And so that you would look out and you'd say, I want to love like you've loved me. And look out. The world will never be the same. Amen.